0: Another episode of Pizza and Parsecs. I'm Dave.
1: I'm apparently <laughs> not, apparently not Dave. I'm confused, is what I am. I was... I'm also Dave.
0: I'm Liv. Usually you go first, so I was like, I gotta stick to the script. I'm Dave. You're Liv. I'm Liv. <laughs> is that how I say it? <laughs> yes.
1: That's that's my best impression of you.
0: That's perfect. It's very accurate. Well, today we're talking about Harry Potter, one of my favorite series, books, movies, games, nerd culture in the whole wide world. This is my favorite one.
1: It's going to be a magical episode.
0: You've been dying to say that, haven't you? I have. Oh my... That was funny. A brief history. I had to introduce you to the movies. You've only you'd only seen like the first and the second one or just the first or just the second one. We spent a week watching all eight movies. And what were what did you what was your takeaway the first time you watched the Harry Potter franchise movie form?
1: So growing up, I wasn't allowed to read the books. Yeah, I missed all the hype around it. Because I couldn't get involved with the hype. So most of my attention at that age when these were coming out was centered around Star Wars and video games and running, basically. Gotcha. (laughs) Well, actually, at the time, it was not running. It was tennis. And then it became running. Gotcha. So I didn't really get involved with it. I had friends that would go to, like, the book releases as they were coming out beforehand. And I didn't get it because I wasn't involved with it at the time. In high school I watched the very first one. I think it was like my sophomore or junior year. That was the first time that I saw a Harry Potter movie and I felt like I was still I was being rebellious cuz I was not allowed to watch it. And then I watched it and I was like this was the big bad thing that I was told was Satan. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at that point I had lost the the allure of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Didn't watch any of it up until you, basically. Ah. So one thing that I appreciate about our relationship is you get involved with things that I love and I'm really passionate about, like running and Clone Wars yes. <laughs> and things like that. You become inv- try to become invested in-, in it, too. So that's what I've been doing with Harry Potter. Yeah. And as I'm doing that, I'm finding that I'm actually enjoying it a lot more than yeah, you are. I initially thought because when I first saw it, I was like... Eh, lackluster. That was my initial thought around it.
0: Yeah, that's okay. To forgive you,
1: <laughs> but that's that's because like I didn't I didn't grow up with it. I didn't read the right. books or anything like that. Now that I have seen the movies, I'm more interested to read the books and become immersed in this world that J.K. Rowling built for us. Yes. So I'm a whole lot more invested in it now. Initially, you were the impetus of this, and my entire motivation behind it was. I'm just going to do it because you're interested in it. Now it's more like, okay, I'm more I'm more interested in it for me now.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll bring the books anytime. I, they're definitely worn. and They've seen their days. They've seen better days, but I'll bring you the books because they're worth a read.
1: I'm more interested in doing that now. Going back and watching The Sorcerer's Stone again, it was a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Because that was the only one I had seen before. And watching it again with you, that was cool. And I liked it. But when I did the rewatch, because I knew we were going to do a podcast on it, I started to become a little more immersed in it, I guess.
0: And Sorcerer's Stone is such a great introduction to the whole world. Like, I know it's Mm -hmm. the first book and that's kind of like, yeah, duh. But J.K. Rowling did such a great job with the Sorcerer's Stone, originally called the Philosopher's Stone, Um, And if you get the book in like the UK or Europe, you're probably going to find the Philosopher's Stone as opposed to Sorcerer's Stone.
1: That's really what it's called, though. IRL is the The Philosopher's Stone. Stone. Yeah.
0: Fun fact. J.K. Rowling was going to keep it that way, but then she didn't think Americans were going to understand Philosopher's Stone. And so she changed it to Sorcerer's Stone, which is super cool. Also, fun fact. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was denied like 20, 30, 40 times by book signing deals. Just denied, denied, denied until the whatever penguin one actually took it and picked it up. But anyway.
1: So I should keep trying to submit my memoirs. Yes. Okay.
0: Because she was denied. And like, look at Harry Potter now. Like, could you, can you imagine being like a book company and being like, oh, we turned that down. Look how much money she's making. The Philosopher's Stone is such like a key moment. And you get this really huge and amazing introduction to like the whole series. And when you read the books, you can actually see the transition between like young kid type reading where you read it and you're like, okay, like a 12 year old could probably pick this up and read it.
1: It's a YA thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then as the books continue, and as the movies continue, you see this amazing like arch of growing up, the language becomes different, the, the story gets darker. And you you see like, oh, we've gone from like 12 years old to the seventh book is probably better for young adults to read and not a 12 year old because it's kind of dark and kind of scary. Like, it's so cool. But anyway, we're talking about the Philosopher's Stone. And I like to call it the Philosopher's Stone because that's the original name of it.
1: Oh, you're going to be that person. I am
0: that person. Okay. I prefer, I wish I wish had kept it because then, spoiler alert, then the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, we would have understood a certain scene in the Crimes of Grindelwald better if we had kept the Philosopher's Stone. But I won't say why. Because you haven't seen the second one. You haven't really seen the first one either. Of Fantastic Beasts. I've
1: watched it, but I don't feel like I've seen it.
0: We'll we'll definitely have to. Because we
1: watched it with friends who had a child, and that was distracting.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think we should definitely watch those after we finish these eight movies. They're so good.
1: So now we're becoming a Harry Potter podcast instead of a Star Wars podcast.
0: It's going to interchange. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So with that being said. Oh, I didn't tell you my relationship with the movie.
1: I was about to ask you, oh. you talked a little bit about why, about how I came to be in this mystical world. How did you become who you are in Harry Potter?
0: Um, so I started watching the movies first. So when the first one came out, I think it was 2000 and something. I don't remember. I didn't look it up.
1: 2001.
0: 2001. Okay. I was like young. I don't remember how old I was. I was nine in 2001.
1: Same age as Anakin in Phantom Menace.
0: Oh, okay. So in 2001, I watched the first Harry Potter movie and I was nine at the time. My cousins had it. So I was like really excited about getting to see it for the first time. It wasn't that I wasn't allowed to watch it. It just was like, I was young. Would this be an acceptable thing to watch? Like. Is this something that, you know, my parents would be cool with us watching? Because it did have to deal with wizards and witches and whiff- witchcraft. Whiffcraft? Whiffcraft. Whiffcraft. Witchcraft. Um, but there was not never this moment of like where I felt like my parents were like, no, you can't watch this because it was like, oh yeah, okay, go watch it with your cousins and that's okay. And it became a thing we watched every time I went over to my cousin's place. It was, let's watch Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because that's what the movie is called in all senses. And it was just like this enjoyable thing. And then the second one came out and I didn't see it in theaters, but my cousin then got it as a DVD and it was like, Oh, let's watch the second Harry Potter. And by that point I was reading the books. Um, by the time the second movie came out, I was like, all right, I'm reading the books and my parents were completely cool with me reading the books. I just had to kind of find ways that I could relate it back to the Bible in certain aspects, because in the Bible, witchcraft is a sin. It's, it's not to be practiced. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that I was still fostering my faith first and finding ways I could relate, like, to that before I, you know, got completely immersed in witchcraft, this wizarding world. So yeah, I, I started reading the first three books because those were out. J.K. Rowling had already had those three released. And then the deal was after the third one, I could get the fourth one if I finished. Uh, I think it was like there was a reward attached to it if I had finished some kind of schoolwork or something like that. So then I got the fourth one. And then five, six, and seven, I actually was at the midnight releases. We had to use school as a incentive. Um, I think it was book five, my parents were like, if you finish your summer reading for school, we will take you to the to the midnight release. I was like, all right, cool. I finished all of my summer reading the day. Like, I didn't finish all of my summer reading in one day, but I got all of it done the same day as the release. And so we went to the midnight release, and that was super cool. And then, yeah, I just grew up investing time in these really cool pieces of literature because it was awesome. And it just grew from there. So I saw the movies first and was like, I thought this whole like world was super cool. And then I read all the books. And I think I've read, i read the first one like seven times. I've read the second one like six times. Third one, I've read like seven times. The third one is my absolute favorite book and movie. The seventh one being my second favorite book.
1: I can't say I have favorites yet. Well, we will address that once I have rewatched all of them again.
0: Yes. I was really sad at 11 when I didn't get a letter. but It's okay. At that point, like, they, J.K. Rowling had really released this whole world. She had just released this tiny little section of the world being Hogwarts and just, just in England. Like, just in this small section, this is what the Wizarding World looks like. And then with the fourth one, we get a kind of a look into, oh, there's more schools and more places. And then with Fantastic Beasts, we are introduced to the American school. So... I accepted the fact that I wasn't getting a letter. I'm a muggle. Proud of it. A Ravenclaw muggle, to be clear. I'm a Ravenclaw. Come at me. So, Dave, what were some of the key plot points that you found very intriguing? Because I, wanna, I want you to have an opportunity to talk about the movie before I go into my description of the comparison between book and movie. Because, in my opinion, Sorcerer's Stone... Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban are three of the closest to the books movies aside from Deathly Hallows 1 and 2. We get, you know, we start moving into Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince. Those are massive books that they had to fit into an hour and a half, two hour movie where they should have done two parts, but it's fine. I'm not bitter, a little bitter. And there's a lot of kind of diverting... Plot points in those three movies. So I want to know, like, what did you think? And what are some aspects of the movie before I talk about the comparisons?
1: So I'm probably about to exhaust all of my efforts in this, in the next, like, five or ten minutes.
0: I'm excited. Do you want me to keep quiet the whole time or chime in?
1: chime in. Okay. Because otherwise this is going to be very short. Okay. So I don't exactly have plot points. That I want to address. There are just things about this movie that I really appreciate. Okay. And then I have a couple issues.
0: Ah, okay. That's I'm probably going to be able to resolve some of those issues. Because, no, you won't. Mm, unless it's like cinematic issues. I can't do cinematic issues. Movie issues I can I can handle.
1: I swear, if you're going to try to resolve it with, well, in the book...
0: That's exactly how I'll resolve it because there are a lot of points and there are a lot of moments within the Sorcerer's Stone, within the Chamber of Secrets, within Prisoner of Aspian where they are very, very close to the book. There are some changes and some things that were done that as a very you know avid reader of the books and a big, big fan of what J.K. Rowling has created, I was really upset with, <laughs> like, why did we not have that? It made me mad. Few things. Few things.
1: One thing that I really appreciated about this movie is how much time they spent and how much time they took to really build out the world and to introduce us to these characters. Yes. This is a movie that's about two and a half hours long, mm-hmm. a little over two and a half hours long. For 45 minutes to an hour of that is all introductions. Yes. And what's interesting about that is. I don't think any other movie can really get away with that except right. for Harry Potter. Right. And that's due in no small part to the nuances of these characters and how beautiful the world is mm-hmm. and how much detail there is in it. Yes. Thinking mm-hmm. about things like the set design. A lot of nuances with the set design and how interested it, interesting it is. Like you, you go into the Great Hall or whatever it's called. Yeah. The great, hall. the great Hall. You go into the Great Hall and there's all these little details in there that you don't feel like you see enough of. And you're like, I want to see more of that so I can capture more of it. And right. like, it gives you the, a lot of opportunity to become immersed in this world. One, one of the things that it does is by the time that plot rolls in, I just use this world, but you're already very immersed in it because you just spent 45 to, minutes to an hour Getting introduced to these characters. You become invested in Harry Potter. You get invested in Hermione. You become invested in Dumbledore. Yeah. That was that's another thing, is the characters. They're complex and they're interesting. Mm-hmm. What's really cool is the characters sort of represent a microcosm of this community. Yeah. They represent pieces of this world. And they bring it in. So while you're learning more about Snape, you're also learning about the, you know, the Slytherin house and that side of Hogwarts. Yeah. And while you're learning more about Harry Potter and Dumbledore and all these other characters, you're learning more about that aspect of the world. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool the way that they did that. I really had to think about it to really see, like, oh, we don't even really get to the plot until like an hour into the movie. Right. And, and at that point, I'm already like so in it. And it's one of those things where I didn't really realize like how much time I spent with them before I, we embarked on the the meat, right. so to speak, of the plot of this movie.
0: Right. And it's something that like as a as somebody who, like myself, who's like, all right, where's the plot? We went and saw a movie for your birthday. I won't specify what movie it was. I did not know what the plot of that movie was until the last 30 minutes of that movie. And that movie was near six hours. I might be exaggerating a smidge.
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not six hours long.
0: (laughs) Close enough. Um, I like to know what the plot point of that movie so I can start investing myself in that movie and kind of see where the path is. But in the Harry Potter franchise... I don't have an issue with the time it takes to get to the plot. I don't care. It's just like everything in, you know, as cliche as it sounds, everything is extremely magical. Like it's a world we've never seen before. And I enjoy that aspect of, yes, it's like 45 minutes to an hour of character development, but it's still this like beautiful world where I don't need to know what the plot is.
1: That's how I felt about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, I didn't like that movie.
1: And I, yeah, anyway. It spends a lot of time in world building, and I love world building, mm-hmm. because it really gives me an opportunity to become invested in it, mm-hmm. and uh, like, think that I'm a magical person, too. Yeah. Like, I'm at I'm at The Hogwarts. <laughs> the Hogwarts. <laughs> The cool thing is when when you're looking at these characters on paper, nothing remarkable there, to be perfectly honest with you. It's nothing we haven't seen before.
0: Right.
1: It's nothing new at all. But where the magic comes in is in two different areas, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. One is the cast. Oh, yeah. For sure. Definitely the cast. Specifically in this movie, the adults that they cast really make this movie because... To me, I don't think this is a weak point here, but to me, the younger cast is a little weaker.
0: And most of them, this is their first. Yeah, exactly. This is their first major film. But they had
1: some powerhouses in this. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: That's what really brings these otherwise boring, not boring is not the right word, but it's the first word that comes to mind. These characters that we've already seen before Mm -hmm. in other movies for the last like hundred years. Right. Like we've seen Merlin done a hundred times. Right. But somehow Richard Harris puts a certain spin on that Merlin type character. Right. That makes it really feel fresh. Right. That's really cool. When I see Richard Harris, first thing I think of and know him and love him in is Gladiator. It's right. Mar- Marcus Aurelius. Fantastic actor. Right. Powerhouse of an actor. Right? Oh, yeah. Another one that I would be remiss in mentioning is Alan Rickman. Of course. Right? Snape. Best.
0: The best. Like, oh, my gosh. Snape is my favorite character. For, our all, for all our listeners, Snape is hands down my favorite character in the entire franchise. Period.
1: I really like Snape in this. And that's not just due to my love of Alan Rickman. Right. It's like legitimately like I love that character. Oh, yeah. Doing no small part to his portrayal of it. Right. Like, he's this dramatic and this perceived sinister depth Mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. That you get to explore through this movie, which makes him very interesting. Oh, yes. Like, we've seen characters where, like, oh, you think it's a bad guy, but really he's a good guy. Yeah. We've seen that before. Oh, yeah. Somehow this is unique. Oh, yeah. And somehow this feels fresh,
0: too. I was just going to say, fun fact um, Alan Rickman was one of the only individuals who knew what the final, the concluding scene was going to be for Harry, for Hermione, for Snape. For Dumbledore, like he was the only one who knew what J.K. Rowling was working towards so he could hone that into his character from the get-go. At this point, I'm assuming everyone knows the story. If you haven't seen it, what rock are you living under? No offense, but for real. Snape being this former Death Eater who Dumbledore is like, I need you. I'm, he's, he's basically about to kill him. And Alan Rickman is, or Snape, who you know, Alan Rickman plays is like no, 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 no. Like I know information. I can help you. Kind of begging for his life. Dumbledore utilizes him as a tool for pushing forward. He becomes a part of the original Order of the Phoenix, and that like when Voldemort like comes about and is about to make mass destruction. So is playing this bad guy, but is also a good guy that we see later goes back to being a quote unquote bad guy. But because he needs to spy for Dumbledore, who is, he's actually a good guy and is all, is doing all of this because of his love for Lily Potter. He, he fell in love with her when they were at Hogwarts. Lily fell in love with James Potter. They get married and he dedicates him, his whole life to protect Harry no matter what. And that meant distancing himself and being a complete jerk to Harry. Alan Rickman was the only person who knew that from the very beginning. And that was just. Like, oh my goodness, J.K. Rowling trusted him so much to tell him this information so he could portray that. Like, when I go back and I know all of this stuff now and I watch the first couple of movies, I'm like, I see it. I see this, like, Alan, you know, Alan Rickman plays such a great character of like, I detest Harry Potter because he looks like his mother. And I fell in love with his mother, but I will protect him no matter what. So cool. Anyway, that's that.
1: That's really cool.
0: Snape is my favorite
1: He's one of my favorites for sure
0: Oh yeah, absolutely
1: Also want to give quick shoutouts to um, Maggie Smith and Robbie Coltrane Playing Hagrid and Professor McGonagall
0: Yes Yes. Professor, uh, Professor McGonagall being like my third favorite character
1: Well she's Old Lady Wendy Yes And that makes my heart happy
0: Yes She's <laughs> so Peter,
1: cool. you've become a pirate
0: Yes <laughs> I didn't rec. I didn't realize that connection until I'd already seen Harry Potter, and then went back and watched Hook, and was like, "Oh,
1: she's fantastic!" Oh
0: my goodness, Professor McGonagall is amazing.
1: And then Robbie Coltrane plays ex KGB Russian mafia right. in the Bond films, or in the in the Brosnan Bond films. Right. I love him in those. Awesome, fantastic. He's so extra.
0: <laughs> oh, fun fact so, about Hagrid: okay. he had to wear that coat the whole time, and they put this tubing on the inside of his coat that shot cold water throughout it every like 10-15 minutes because that was he was getting overheated so they would shoot all this like freezing cold water so it'd cool him down every single time he was on set
1: i need that for dragon con
0: right we need to call him up and be like how did you construct that because it was like so brilliant just a water i have a lot of fun facts about harry potter because i love harry potter (laughs)
1: And then you have all these other character accents. And by accents, I mean like over, not not, not like a lead
0: mm-hmm. character,
1: but they're just kind of like off to the side. You get glimpses of them, but they add that additional depth. Right. And these are other actors that are powerhouses in their own right. Think of John Cleese. Mm-hmm. Love John Cleese. Total screen time was like maybe 10, 15 seconds. But that's so memorable to me.
0: That's, um...
1: Ghost. Guy. Half-head. Nearly
0: Headless Nick. Nearly Headless Nick. Yeah. Yes. I was trying to remember. Wait. Half-head. What? <laughs> that is half-head. <laughs> I don't know act like actors' names as much as I know what characters they play. So yeah, he plays Nearly Headless Nick. And I do have an, a comment about Nearly Headless Nick that I'm going to make in a little bit. Okay. When we talk about the comparison from book to movie. Okay. So continue.
1: And then you have Warwick Davis.
0: He plays Professor Flit- Flitwick. Yes. He's a short guy. Yeah. He's, a Raven- he's the head of Ravenclaw. He's the house, like, professor.
1: Powerhouses, right? Yeah. And, like, all together they don't have a whole lot of screen time, but they stick out to me. And not just because I know who, like, I know Warwick Davis from The Star War. Right. <laughs> and I know John Cleese from, like, things that I love dearly, my Python. Right. Not the least of which. <laughs> right. And, like, he's just, like, that kind of an actor that commands an audience. Yes. All of these adult actors in this movie, I feel like, do that in a very awesome way. Yeah. And it really kind of captivates me into that world. And that's not to say that the the child actors don't do that. Right. Because I think they are interesting characters. Mm-hmm. But how do you compete with Alan Rickman?
0: Right. And I think one of the cool things, in my opinion, as far as like comparison of characters in the movies to comparison of characters in the books, is the book's... Highlight these adult characters more so than the kid characters. They have a huge role because these kids are new to Hogwarts. They're, they're still discovering the world. Yes, it's a, it's centered around this trio, this trinity, if you will. But it is really focused on the development of the adult characters. Who is Dumbledore? Who is Snape? Who is McGonagall? You know, all of these big characters, they have major roles in the book that they didn't put in the movie as much. They just let those like big names take command themselves, which was one of the areas that I was okay with that we didn't see a whole lot of screen time with like Professor McGonagall, Professor Snape, Professor Sprout. Like there are these, there's these moments where... In the book, that's necessary. They needed that for a later scene. And then they remove certain scenes because they didn't give those those actors that, that big of them or that amount of screen time that the book gives them.
1: What I enjoyed and appreciated is the amount of screen time that they have mm-hmm. wasn't that much in comparison to, you know, Harry Potter, Ron Weasels. Your
0: man Weasels. My,
1: my man, Ron Weasels and Hermione. So like they absolutely are the leads in this. Yeah. It's balanced well with these... I keep saying powerhouses, but that's what they are. Let's be real. For real. Like, they balance it out well. And it doesn't really take away from what you see Mm
0: -hmm. with
1: the kids. Because so often you get, like, a powerhouse actor who just, like, steals the show. And you're like, I have no idea who anybody else in this movie is except for Robert Downey Jr.
0: (laughs) Right. Right.
1: (laughs) That was one thing that I loved about this was the world building that they did... And the character study yeah. of it all. Yeah. It gives you the opportunity to become invested in it. Yeah. And it gives you enough details to learn all about it. Because going into it, you have no idea what any of this is. Right. You have to learn vocabulary. Yes. You have to learn locations. You yes. have to learn characters. Lots of characters. Oh, yeah. Like, the amount of, of introductions that you get into this, and by the end, you feel like you have an okay grasp of it. The fact that that happens is remarkable.
0: Oh, yeah. And they do such a great job in the books, too, of introducing each character and kind of building that character in your brain, but putting it in such a way that you don't forget that person, making them so distinctly different that by the time you reach that character in the seventh book, even if you know that person didn't really show up much between one and seven, you recall who that person is. And it's so, so cool. And the movies it's- do a great job of doing that, too.
1: That's what I like about it. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun world to be in. Yes, which I liked. Oh yeah. Now I have issues. Okay. Would you like to hear my issues? I would
0: love to hear your issues, and I'll probably try to debunk them or support them, depending on the issue.
1: For me, the Quidditch game is like pod racing. For you, oh. I found it. I found it to be so boring.
0: Okay. It was.
1: I, I. I could not get into it at all. I thought Harry Potter was absolutely useless.
0: Yes, that was so. I, I can see where you're saying that, and I'm not going to try to defend it because it was downplayed in the first movie massively. Um, in the book itself, the Quidditch game was very descriptive. You get all of this kind of like, you get this really fun sense of sport in the book. And in the movie, it was like, oh yeah, we need to put Quidditch in there because it's such a major plot point in the book because of what Professor Quirrell is doing, because of the assumption that it's Snape because of Harry getting thrown off the broom and the broom kind of having a mind of its own. It was extremely disappointing that they kind of, for lack of better terms, halfway did it. It it felt like an afterthought in the movie, where in the book it is so exciting. And he does a lot more. He actually chases the snitch a lot more.
1: Yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah. The Quidditch match in this is the only point in the movie that took me... Out of the movie yeah which for me was really ashamed in that at that point like I was already super invested in it because of all of this world building that they did the broom training the fly training what do you call it
0: uh yeah yeah the, the class where they learn how to fly their yes the class
1: sticks. where they lo- the class where they learn how to fly their brooms made me I feel like that wrote a check that Quidditch didn't
0: cash Right. And I think, unfortunately, throughout all the movies, that's the case. Like, not gonna lie, when we have a Quidditch match in Chamber of Secrets, also not as exciting. Prisoner of Azkaban has a better feel of Quidditch because you get this rainy, stormy, like, massive feeling of angst behind the the game itself. And then on top of that, you have Dementors flying around and then attacking Harry. And he falls. But it's so short. That is something that I feel like Warner Brothers dropped the ball on um, in the sense of Quidditch. Because the movies were in such the early sense of 2000s, I don't feel like Warner Brothers themselves knew how to handle the need for CGI in this arena.
1: Could have taken some notes from from a man Phantom Menace.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I just, I feel like it, that was a disappointing area, but the book does a great job of it.
1: <laughs> I, I can't rebut against the book because I haven't read it. I can only go off of what I've seen. Yes. Another thing that I saw in this movie that I didn't really care for. I keep talking about how brilliant the world building is in this. I thought the plot was really weak. Like this whole thing with the philosopher's stone. It just didn't really, I didn't really feel it, Okay. I guess. It just felt shallow. Okay. It felt shallow to me. When I go back and re-watch Sorcerer's Stone, I'm not going back to watch the Sorcerer's Stone piece of this. I'm going back to watch that first 45 minutes to an hour. Right. And then obligatory the rest of the movie. <laughs> right. That's how I see this. Okay. It started so strong and I don't feel like the plot behind, the way that the plot was presented in this for the Sorcerer's Stone, the -hmm. Philosopher's Stone, if you will, since you're a purist. Yeah, I try. I felt like that was a little weak.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel like they glossed over certain aspects that in the book were big major points. I understand that because it's a two hour film, a two and a half hour film, they wanted to construct this whole new world. They wanted to construct these characters. They wanted to present them in a way where we could understand who they are as people moving forward. We did lose a little bit of the, the plot later on. However, going back to the book, it's constructed very similarly, in my opinion. Reading the book and knowing this kind of like uncertain newness of we have this stone that we're not sure, you know, what is doing, but we know that it's going to give Voldemort, whom we presume is gone for good, who we think is disappeared and is completely gone, but somebody is after this stone that may or may not be in Hogwarts, may or may not Give eternal life, may or may not have these like mystical powers that we think Snape's after to potentially give to Voldemort, maybe if he's alive. We think he's dead. There's a lot of like hidden mystery of like, well, why is Harry still alive? What is he doing this? Like, why does his scar hurt? Like, we don't understand because it's just a first year, but going through all the books and then going back and rereading the first one, it makes a little bit more sense for me on why it was like, well, why did we need the Philosopher's Stone? Why was that the choice of the foundation well, because it actually progressed us. Without The Philosopher's Stone, I don't think we'd have any of the other movies or books.
1: I feel like the purpose of The Philosopher's Stone was just to tell you about the love protection spell that Harry's mother imbued on him when she died. Yeah. That could have been told a lot quicker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think they did they didn't do that storyline justice.
1: I like that aspect of it. Right. That's one of the big messages that I got out of it. Right. That I appreciated and I was like, okay, that's a driving point to this story. Right. And I can get on board with that.
0: Yeah. It was it's 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 done better in the book. I just I have to say it. It's it's Done better in the book. And there are places in this movie where I was like, man, I wish they had done this. It would have made more sense. It would have progressed the plot a little bit better. But that's me, nit- like, nitpicking little details, knowing the story prior to. Well, in, in my case, I, I saw the movie first, but then when I read the book, knowing the full story and knowing the fullness of the Philosopher's Stone, I'm like, okay, there were things that they could have done differently in the movie that, while it is as, it is very close to the books, we got a surface level opposed to a little bit of a de- a deeper dive in certain aspects that would have made more sense
1: for the main plot. Absolutely, yeah. But in terms of character depth and exploration and study and world building, I feel like that's spot on. Oh, absolutely. And you you take you really take that away from this movie. Yeah. I feel like that coupled with the music are what carries this mu- movie. Yeah. Like John Williams, though.
0: The music is just iconic. Iconic. Can't help, but just fall in love. I hear that first note and I'm like, Harry Potter! It was great. And then, you know, and not to jump ahead, but the fact that they kind of bring that into the Fantastic Beasts trilogy. You know, we're, we're supposed to get that third one next year in 2021. It's not the same, but it is. Because Fantastic Beasts is supposed to be set... Far before Harry is even thought of, before Lily and James even meet. Dumbledore is young. We know who Grindelwald is. We learn all of these people. We learn who, you know, all of these characters that we just get kind of little teasers in throughout the Harry Potter books. But they took that music and brought it in so you still get that Harry Potter feel, even though it's not a Harry Potter flick. Because it's not.
1: It's the universal language that binds it.
0: Yes absolutely
1: similar to what star wars does which john williams did that too so yes.
0: john williams is just i don't even have words for how amazing he is constructing music it's just glorious i do have to say he did not compose the cursed child track though they don't have a movie it's it's a broadway performance he did not do that and i was at first i was very disappointed but the person who did do it is amazing and i think you'd actually know who she is Imogen Heap. Yeah. She composed the Harry Potter and The Cursed Child and does such a great job honing into the original scores and giving us that feel. She's the I only person I didn't
1: know she did that. She like did I'm it. I'm like ten times more interested now.
0: Oh yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh when the screenplay came out, I bought it the day of. I was like, I have to read with the cursed child, and I read it in one day. And then I reread it the next day because I was like invested. It was the First time we've had a Harry Potter related thing since the part two of Deathly Hallows came out. And we see the epilogue and we see the, you know, the send-off of Harry and Jenny kid go into Hogwarts. Ron and Hermione's kids are going to Hogwarts. They're together. They're doing life. And it picks up right at the epilogue. And I was like, she did not just finish out the story. She did not just give us more to get excited about. But yeah. He didn't. He didn't do the the composition of the music there, and I was really worried. Is it going to sound like Harry Potter? Is it going to be Harry Potter? But she does a great job. It feels like Harry Potter. It feels like a new generation of Harry Potter.
1: Evolution.
0: Yes. Any other issues you have?
1: Yes. What? CGI. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't exactly hold up.
0: No. They need to I, do a remastered version. Let's be real.
1: I keep referencing Phantom Menace. Could have taken some notes. Some of it just feels very messy. Yeah. I know that I'm looking at it through a 2020 lens. Yes. Where everybody has a more discerning eye for CGI now. Yeah. With the Marvel universe, with the Star Wars universe. Right. All of these movies have really like fine tuned that. And going back and watching Neville on the broom.
0: Yeah, it's awful. Falling
1: down. It's. It's quite bad. It's a a little jarring.
0: Yeah, just a little bit. And they don't really fine-tune that till we get to the Goblet of Fire, unfortunately. I would like to defend Prisoner of Azkaban in this, but I can't. Because Prisoner of Azkaban's CGI is pretty terrible, too. I just don't, I think Warner Brothers kind of, they didn't they didn't come up to the plate. They didn't stand there and say, all right, we're going to bring our best foot forward in that. I think they were taking a risk with Harry Potter because there was controversy amongst people reading the books. There was, con- you know, you look at the, you know, in your in your case, there was a lot of families who grew, you know, and kids who grew up in Christian homes that were not allowed to read it. So when they put those movies out, it's kind of like rolling the dice. Is this going to pick up speed? Because we don't even have the completion. We don't know where this is going. When the first one came out, the third one hadn't even been released. Like book-wise hadn't been released. When the second one came out, the fourth book hadn't been released yet. When you get to the third movie, the fourth book hadn't been released yet. So Warner Brothers just kind of dropped the ball on the CGI aspects. And I, I do agree with you on that.
1: I don't feel like it takes away from my enjoyment of it though. Right. Because I get it. I go back and watch things like Terminator where the, where you see the the Terminator walking and that's not really even CGI. That's just, that's actually claymation. Right. Like that doesn't take me out of having that enjoyment for the movie. Right. Same way with this.
0: Yeah. I wish they would be remastered versions.
1: I think it'd be cool to see a modern, some modern CGI on it. Yeah. Because what's really cool about this is most of this isn't CGI. A, right. Or a lot of this isn't CGI and it's beautiful. I yeah. talked about the set design earlier. Yeah. And the Great Hall. And just in Hogwarts in general. Right. Even on the train. Right. The Dursley's house. Yeah. That's another one where they just have so much detail in that. Right. That's the remarkable piece of the look of right. it. That doesn't really take away... I can look at this movie and say, okay, that scene where Neville like falls off his broom or whatever, that doesn't take away anything from me.
0: Yeah. Going back to the idea of remastering, I'd love to see Chamber of Secrets remastered just for the basilisk, just for the snake. While I hate snakes, I would love to see a updated version of what would they do if they had today's technology to do that. And again, not to jump forward, but there's a scene in Prisoner of Azkaban that completely takes me out of the movie because of how horrible the CGI is. And it's when Harry is standing at the window in his hotel room at the three broomsticks and the train is going by and everything's shaking. He turns around. You, clearly that's not the actual person. It's very much, it looks like a video game. And that when I saw it in theaters for the first time, I was like, oh, man, you had to go and like, it pulls me out of the movie. And there are parts in the Sorcerer's Stone where the CGI is not that good. It actually pulls me out of the movie the scene where Neville falls off of his broom. I don't really care about care for that. It it makes me unhappy to see it depicted that way now as an adult. And kind of it does pull me out of the movie. When we get Fluffy, who looks super cool, and we get the chess game, which looks really good. Like it was an un there was not a balance there for me personally.
1: I had some issues with the chess game one.
0: It wasn't long enough. I was really mad. Also, was not done right.
1: It felt a little over dramatized.
0: I have like, issues with that whole that whole section of the movie that I'm going to talk about in a minute.
1: Like when Ron's horse or whatever gets stabbed. Yeah. Why does that knock you out?
0: It I don't. Done, un- it wasn't done right. I
1: don't understand. Yeah. Like you didn't get hit. You see it coming. Maybe just jump off. Right. I don't know. Right. I'm not a wizard. Yeah. That made no sense. And then he's like, down for the count. Hermione's over there like, I must take care of him.
0: It wasn't, not supposed to happen. Hermione's supposed to go with Harry. I have a whole issue with that entire section.
1: Like, why did
0: Ron get knocked out from that? He wasn't supposed to. I I think he was, he was supposed to get hurt or something. But he's supposed to like, tell Hermione and Harry to go on, to continue forward. Like, both of them were supposed to go. Not just Harry. An entire scene was taken out that is supposed to give you the indication that Snape is actually not the one after the Sorcerer's Stone, the Philosopher's Stone. I'm going to go into that in a second because there's a whole piece of the puzzle missing. So the differences between book and movie. There were several and there are several things that were taken out that I understand needed to be taken out. One of which, you know, is a minute detail. Harry's not supposed to have blue eyes. He's supposed to have green eyes. Daniel Radcliffe has blue eyes.
1: See, that really takes me out of it.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, There were aspects that I think were missing that we should have had at the beginning scenes. One of which, Harry's hair being super shaggy and kind of messy... Uh, and Pet- Aunt Petunia cutting it and it growing back minutes after she had cut it. There were little, little details that kind of bring us into this understanding that Harry has always had these magical powers that he could not explain. There were always events in his life that happened that he could never explain. That being his hair, that being things disappearing, reappearing, moments in time when we only get to see this moment at the zoo where Dudley falls into the snake's pen and the snake escapes. We also don't understand why he speaks to snakes. That's fine. We didn't need to know that.
1: We don't find out about that until later.
0: Chamber of Secrets. Yeah.
1: See, I remember. I'm proud of you. I wish that I had the power to grow my hair out. (laughs) Hashtag receding (laughs) hairlines.
0: Anyway, so there were moments that I think we could have added into the beginning stages of the movie that would have given us this Harry. Why is Harry under the stairs? Well, because they don't like him. One, because they know he's going to become a wizard. I think they could have elaborated on the fact that, and while we 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 do learn about McGonagall being an animagus later, that's something that's kind of introduced and explained later, it's not done in the movies for her at all. She turns into, she comes from, you know, is this cat at the very beginning when Dumbledore is waiting, when they're, you know, Dumbledore arrives, he uses his little, you know.
1: He's a light thief and he has this, (laughs) he has this Dark Knight Rises button, but instead of blowing up Gotham, he steals the light.
0: Yes. He later gives that to Ron, which is very symbolic and I love that. She turns from this tabby cat to herself. And we see that again later when she's about to teach her transfiguration class. She is sitting there and they're like, oh, thank goodness. You know, we're not late. She's not even here. And she turns from the cat to herself. We never see that again. We see Hermione
1: movies. try that.
0: <laughs> we see Hermione accidentally try that. It's awful. But we, but we see that later on in the second movie. We never see that again. It's explained why Sirius Black escapes. It's explained why, you know, certain things are a certain way. But we forget later on oh, Professor McGonagall's is also an animagus that turns into a cat. And the only way that I kind of connect to that is throughout the books, Uncle Vernon makes note, and in the books, he makes note about the fact that there's this tabby cat that he has seen all throughout his day. He's seeing all of this weirdness going on throughout this particular day before Harry arrives. The whole book starts out with Uncle Vernon getting ready for work. He's he's going to work, but he sees all these weird people in these cloaks and in these weird hats. He's like, why is everyone dressed weird? Like, why is everyone just acting out of the norm? He's very status quo, Uncle Vernon. And then he notices his cat is kind of following him around all day long. And then at the end of the day, here's Harry. And we find out this tabby cat is Professor McGonagall. And here comes Dumbledore, here comes Hagrid, bringing Harry to the doorstep. And that's kind of the start. And we learn, like, that's what really happened that day. That day, the Wizarding World was celebrating Voldemort's demise quote unquote, the whole entire, like they were coming out and like celebrating that day. Like the evil is gone. This boy who lived just somehow destroyed him. We don't know how, we don't know why. It's all over the place. All these people are celebrating. Vernon is like, what the actual crap is going on? Comes home, goes to bed that night. Here's Harry. That's the start. I wish we had had that in the movies. I wish we had that kind of understanding that the Dursleys had no earthly idea what was going on, but kind of did and then ended up with Harry, you know, with a note saying, hey, his parents just sacrificed themselves to save this boy who then actually destroyed the darkness, the evil one, he who must not be named. And they're like, uh, no, they died in a car accident because we have nothing to do with the wizarding world because Petunia was not picked. She was not a witch. Her sister was. Lily was. And we also don't really get to see that too much in the movie either. Virginia kind of has this moment while they're in this abandoned shack in the middle of nowhere. My sister, the witch, the one who got picked, the one who had all these powers, you know, she was this beautiful, gorgeous, and she was perfect in every way. She became the witch, the witch of the family. And she's sitting there like telling Harry how it really is, but we kind of glaze over that. And in the book's It's this longer monologue, this truer monologue of, like, the real jealousy that Petunia has of Lily. We miss that. Uh, We miss the death day. And let me just tell you, we miss this amazing scene on Halloween. Death day? Death day.
1: Happy death day?
0: Not, well, it is happy death day, but it kind of- Great movie. (laughs) Never seen either one of those. It gives us a little bit more detail on the ghosts of Hogwarts. Okay. And like where these ghosts kind of come from and why they are what they are and why they're doing what they're doing and where they reside there. The difference between when somebody dies and becomes a ghost opposed to someone dying and just dying. We see death all throughout Harry Potter. We see all these people, not in the beginning, but well, kind of in the beginning because Quirrell dies. Spoiler alert. Quirrell dies. Why are some people ghosts and some people not? The death day kind of gives us a small taste of why. They can't fully pass on because it was more of an unexpected death, more of something that they weren't ready for. Their spirits weren't ready to die. Neely Hella's Nick was not ready to die, and he didn't really get to, like, die. But we get to, we get this kind of lovely introduction to death day. You know, his death day, when he died. He doesn't celebrate his birthday. He celebrates his death day because he's a ghost. That's such a cool part in the book. This whole chapter is so much fun because Harry, Hermione, and Ron are the only humans invited to go to it because they developed this relationship with Nearly Headless Nick that we don't get to see. We don't get to see this relationship between Nearly Headless Nick and the three, you know, kids and that, that, that kind of bond that they have, which makes more sense on... You know, the disappointment when Harry finds nearly had Nick petrified. You know, it's sad for him. He's like, oh, because it's his his friend. It's somebody he's kind of grown to love. And then the end. We miss an entire component. So Fluffy. We meet Fluffy, who's guarding this trapdoor. That is Hagrid's contribution to the protection of the stone. Each layer of it is a contribution. From one of
1: of the other professors. From one of
0: the professors. So we have Hagrid, who's not really a professor, he's a gatekeeper, but like, no one's going to want to try to beat a three-headed dog. No, no, I'm not going to take on a three-headed beast. No, thank you. But they do. They, they go in and they see a harp is playing on its own and there's music going on and so they open the trap door, boom. Next one, Professor Sprout, which we don't really get the pleasant opportunity to kind of dive into who Professor Sprout is in the first one when we should because she is a a critical player in this as she sets up the next challenge to protect the stone yeah and then you have what we assume is defense of the dark arts with the chessboard But in fact, it's more transfiguration. People can come at me. But let's be real. It can be one of the same. You know, we have this chess scene where the chess pieces are coming to life and you're playing up against another team and you actually have to beat to then get to the next phase. All of these being, if someone were to try to come come after the stone, they would need to kind of figure their way around and play these games to make it to the stone. It's kind of like levels that you have to go through like level one fluffy level two the snare that sprout puts together some people want to think of it as transfiguration as these chess pieces have been transformed into massive pieces because when you play wizard chess those pieces are actually playing and alive and beating each other up so it would be more transfiguration of growing those pieces opposed to Defense of the Dark Arts, making those pieces come to life. So McGonagall really puts that, that third level into place. And then there's a missing piece. And in the movie is to keep you thinking Professor Snape is behind that door that Harry opens on his own to go after and protect this stone that they have bestowed upon themselves to protect on their own. These three first years are like, we need to actually, no one else is going after him. We need to go after this guy. This dark arts desiring professor being Snape, who has everything taken away from him. Who's giving you this feeling of, I'm a bad guy, I'm evil. He opens the door and it's not him. But we're, we're in the book, we're given this confirmation that it's not Snape. Because there's a final piece of this puzzle that Hermione and Harry are supposed to do together. It's this poem, this riddle with these potions sitting in front of you.
1: Is it a Tom riddle?
0: No, it's not a Tom riddle. But funny. <laughs> <laughs> Snape puts together three potions. One is to kill you. One is to progress you. And one is to bring you back to the beginning. To bring you back to outside of Fluffy's door. And they don't put that in the movie. And that's my favorite part of the whole entire, like, levels. The fluffy, the snare, the the chest, then the potions. Because in that moment, I'm like, no, Snape didn't do this. Snape isn't the one after the stone. It's somebody else. Who else could it be? Because why would Snape willingly put a level, a blockade, before the stone, and then go after the stone. Like he he would know all of the level. He would know how to bypass everything. Why wouldn't he just take it then if he wanted it? And it, and we miss it. And then Hermione. It gives Hermione the opportunity. Oh, I'm also missed the the flying one. The keys, Madame Hooches. I missed that one. That's my fault. I'm a horrible person. But after the snare, it's
1: okay. This entire last part of the movie just kind of flies by for me.
0: Haha, <laughs> that's funny because. The one I missed is... Ha!
1: And it just doesn't interest me, so I, I wasn't going to call you out on it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, but it's like each one they kind of get to independently work on. Hagrid gives them the key to the first level. How to bypass Fluffy. Hermione remembers not only to stay still. Ron does not stay still. She needs to do a light. You know, she has to present light and the snare just kind of releases its death grip. And then we have, Harry is now this flying master and he has to go after the old key. Madame Hooch puts this together. You have to fly around and turn the keys and grab the right one. And then they all get mad at you. So they're gonna chase you around because they're mad at you now. You didn't charm them right. Go through the door, boom. Now you're at the chess scene. And then Ron is like, I can take care of this. This is great. I know how to play chess. I'm like the chess master of the three of us. He plays chess. Which is poorly done beforehand because he only plays once and we're supposed to see like, oh, he actually plays a lot and he beats a lot of people. He's really good at this game of chess. They didn't set you up right for that. But then we really get to tap into Hermione being the wisest of the three, book smart of the three, because she does another level. She, she accomplishes bypassing and understanding two of the, the challenges to get to the stone and instead of being like, oh, let me help you. Let me drink this potion. There's only enough for one person. I'm going to reset. This one is poison. Don't drink it. I'm going to drink this one. Go get Ron, who's fine, by the way. He's fine.
1: He fell off of a horse.
0: He's fine. They don't present it right, but he, he ends up being, he's fine. Because he's he's supposed to sit there and say, hey, Harry, Hermione, keep going. I'm I'm going to be okay. Keep going. You guys have to go, but Hermione stays in the movie. And then Harry drinks the potion, sees his Professor Quirrell. That was missing for me, and I missed that and wanted to see that because it's so cool to then get this realization of, like, wait a second. If Snape was involved in protecting the stone, wouldn't he have gone after the stone sooner, knowing how to get past all of these? Probably. Wouldn't you think if he helped... It would have been okay. It wouldn't be Snape. So they removed that from the movie because they want to give you this element of surprise of it's actually Professor Quirrell. Fun fact, didn't ruin it for me. Just was like, oh, gotcha. Because Professor Quirrell was not asked to make a blockade. He wasn't. Everyone else was. So that's just very long winded. I got heated. There could
1: have been another one for him. Like how to tie a turban one-on-one. Right. Or how to pass out after seeing a troll 305.
0: Which he released. He played up a really good stuttering scaredy cat. In the book, that was a huge, like, moment. Because, again, you know, I sit there and I think, oh, it's Snape this whole time. Then we have Snape's potion challenge. And I'm like, okay, well, if it's not Snape, who is it? And then it's Professor Quirrell blindside exciting blindside. But yeah, it was just moments like that make the movie bigger for me if they had added it. And I, I do this, I have the same moments for each movie from a book perspective that I, I'll go into when we talk about each movie independently. But there are there are moments in The Prisoner of Azkaban where I was like, I wish they had added that. And I know they can't add everything, but there are huge plot points in the, in the book that I think would have enhanced... The movies that much more. The Goblet of Fire is the biggest one for me, the biggest starting point for me in the deterring from the books, when we could have had a really cool moment of thinking or of seeing more of the house elves. I know your favorite. If we had had more of the storyline that the book plays with the house elves we would have seen a new side of Hermione. We would have seen not, you know, Harry would have been blamed for the dark mark, but we also would have seen this house self that comes along, that's supposed to be there, also blamed because... She was the one who was holding the wand that made the dark market. Actually, wasn't Barty Crouch's son, which is what we are seeing in the movie. Barty Crouch's son does do it, but he does it with somebody else's wand, and then the minister's house elf is found with the wand. It's this whole like who did who done it scenario that we don't get to really figure out later on. They just kind of give it to us at the beginning. I was like, would have been cool. And you also get to see the kitchen in the in the fourth book you get to see Hogwarts kitchen and you don't get to see it and i wanted to see that okay i'm done i have opinions
1: so it's safe to say that you don't really look at this from a a black box of this movie you look at it from the universe around the movie yes. which includes the book yeah so it's when you think prisoner of azkaban you think movie and the book together as one universe
0: because you know we're given so many different universes that deter let's look at dc for a second they have so many different timelines of a universe you know we have so many different batmans that are different universes Same with Marvel. We have so many different aspects of a universe that kind of coincide in a parallel sense. Harry Potter is one universe. The Wizarding, the Wizarding World now is considered one universe. It's not necessarily the Harry Potter universe. It's considered the Wizarding World universe. It's on a, it's on a one track plane. The movie should support the books and the books should support the movies. Elaborating certain aspects that are not necessarily needed to be elaborated on. Half-blood prince, you know what you did. We didn't, we don't need to elaborate on the love story, but they did anyways. But yeah, I look at it as a whole. They're supporting the, each one supports the universe as a whole. And some movies do that really well and some movies don't do that really well. Do I think the Sorcerer's Stone deters too far away from the Philosopher's Stone book? No. There are just moments where I was like, I would have liked to see that would have supported the storyline better for those who don't want, who don't, who have not read the books or choose not to read the books. I have a friend who she does the audiobooks, but she is a huge Harry Potter fan, has not read all the books, does not know the story behind it aside from what she's researched. She can, she successfully knows the storyline, she su- successfully knows the plot points. It's a part of that fandom, because they do a really good job in certain aspects of supporting each other in that universe, I just think that there were points that they should have focused on more to support the story better. And I think the plot wouldn't have fallen short or wouldn't have felt kind of shallow if they had allowed themselves to dive deeper into certain aspects in the movies. That is all. Interesting. Yes. We have a game. We have a game. A game. A game. This was actually your idea, which I was really excited. I was to pick a few characters, references, you know, potions, topics, and you had to guess what they were. Um, so I tried to make it as specific to the sorcerer's stone as possible. Okay. So that way I didn't get ahead of myself.
1: So this is going to be interesting because I have nowhere near the depth of knowledge and. I am probably going to get a lot of these wrong and we'll just err on the side of trying to be funny.
0: Yes. Next time, I think I'll do the game first and then we talk about it because I picked some things and then we kind of talked a little bit more in depth about certain aspects and I was like, well, darn it.
1: You talked about a lot. I probably didn't catch everything and process everything. Okay. So I think we'll be good.
0: Okay. But my first one is going to be an easier one. It's a spell. Okay. Expelliarmus.
1: It means disarm. Yes. Yeah.
0: I like how you described this particular spell, though. This is the spell you think Harry is the only spell Harry knows.
1: Oh, stupefy.
0: Oh, no, that was stupefy, I thought.
1: No, the one that the only spell that Harry Potter ever uses is stupefy. Grandmaster, like wizard, knows one spell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I messed that one up then because I was like, oh, I'll pick the one that he thinks Harry only does. And that was, I, I mixed them up. I thought Expelliarmus was the only one. The, it's actually stupid. Five. you're right. Anyway, okay. Did
1: I just impress you with my Harry Potter knowledge, right there? Yeah.
0: My next one is the Headless Society.
1: The Headless Society. Yes. the The story behind this is very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So when Voldemort was like big and bad and powerful, and he's like the big bad, and it's like Hogwarts versus Voldemort or whatever. Right. Voldemort obviously at some point gets defeated. No more Voldemort. His legions underneath him no longer have a leader a head of their organization. So now they're known henceforth as the headless society. At that point, they kind of separate out into their own factions because they have no clear leader. They have no clear direction. That's where you get these different sort of sets that just terrorize things. Sometimes just by sight. Sometimes they actually do bad stuff. When I think of things by sight, I think of like the centaur thing in the in the woods because that CGI was terrifying. That's the headless society.
0: Okay. We did not talk about the, the Forbidden Forest part though earlier. And I love the Forbidden Forest scene. Done very well, except Neville's not supposed to be there. No, Ron's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be Neville. that's a that bad point.
1: How do I do on Headless Society?
0: Um, far off, but it's okay. I like your description. Okay. The Headless Society is actually a society of ghosts who have lost their heads. Um, and Nearly Headless Nick is denied every year when they are allowing new members to join this society of headless individuals because he's not fully headless.
1: Must be a big bummer. Yeah. What are the benefits of being in the Headless Society?
0: I mean they're all dead. There's really no benefit. It's just
1: like do they get like perks? Like like Delta has their like sky miles, like gold star members, and they get to use like the suites at the airport or in priority boarding and whatnot. Like, is that a thing?
0: No, it's more along the lines of um national honor societies and colleges where you pay a but ton of money, and all you get is a really cool medal at the end of the of the school years. Okay. It really does nothing. Okay. I think at one point he finally was accepted. I think it was after the he- the Battle of Hogwarts. I have to do my research on that and refresh my memory. Okay. But that is the Headless Society. Good all to right. know. Yeah. Next up is who is Nicholas Flamel?
1: Nicholas Flamel. So here's the thing about the land of Hogwarts. It gets cold there, right? Mm-hmm. But they have all of these magical creatures and whatnot, but they don't have wool or anything else to make flannel.
0: I knew you so, were going to take it in this route.
1: So at one point, Nicholas Flamel finds a way to construct his own fibers, known as the Flamel fiber. And at that point... That is what all of the robes are made out of. All of the robes are flamel as opposed to flannel. Okay. That is what keeps our little wizards and witches warm during the harsh winter months.
0: (laughs) Uh, No. That was a really good description. I had a feeling you were going to take flamel into a flannel sense.
1: It was either going to be that or cooking because fennel.
0: Oh, okay. That's funny. I didn't think about that one. That was a really nice description, but again...
1: I was partially right.
0: Far or far from it.
1: So partially right.
0: Far from it.
1: Like half headless Nick.
0: No. Good good try. Proud of you. Uh, Nicholas Flamel is actually the philosopher who creates the stone and is the originator of the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone. We finally get to see Nicol- the Nicholas Flamel in Crimes of Grindelwald, Fantastic piece and Where to Find Them. We meet him for the very first time in person as he's creating the stone.
1: Okay. But yeah. And then he creates the flamel fiber. Sure. I knew I was right.
0: Yes. You are correct. Not really. The only downside, I was going to do a potion, but they don't really do a whole lot of potions because they remove that kind of aspect of the storyline. I ended up kind of taking back a potion idea and I'm going to do that more in the Chamber of Secrets or okay. um, later on when we kind of play with more potions. Um, what about the spell, though? So I did a second spell. Okay. The spell Alohomora.
1: Alohomora.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So fun fact about Alohomora. Wasn't originally a Hogwarts thing. So there was another... Wizarding School in Hawaii. Okay,
0: I knew this is where you were gonna go with it. I was and prepared.
1: It was it was created by the Samoans. Okay, And there, and so Dwayne Johnson was like the Dumbledore of this. The one of the core values of their Wizarding School. They they only had one house. They only had one house. So they they weren't like all. It was it was very peaceful. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody was competing. And this was a spell that you just wish good fortune on one another. You just walk up to people. Mora, For the next, like, 10, 15 minutes, they'd just have good fortune. Like, things would go their way, you know?
0: Okay. Like,
1: days, the day, the day was brighter. And so, at a certain point, Voldemort found out about this Hawaiian school for wizards. And completely decimated it. Except for Dwayne Johnson, because nothing can take out Dwayne Johnson. Right. So Dwayne Johnson calls up Dumbledore and says, hey, can I stay with you for a while? And that's how Alomora came to be at Hogwarts.
0: I like your description. What is the shape of the spell? Like, how would you do the spell?
1: How? What? What's the shape of the spell?
0: Yeah, each spell has a shape. I meant to ask you about Expelliamas, but...
1: Oh, well, the shape of the spell is, of course... The shape of... I don't know. Oh, that's hard. Oh, I know. Alohomora, the shape of the spell, is of a fedora. As if to tip a hat to someone. Okay,
0: okay, okay.
1: It's the shape of a hat.
0: All right. Well, um, I hate to break it to you, but that's not correct. Dwayne
1: Johnson's not a wizard?
0: No, he's not a wizard. Ugh. Um, Alohomora is an unlocking spell, so you would use it to unlock locks. We see Hermione do this uh, from underneath the invisibility cloak to enter into the room where Fluffy is. We also see her later on release Sirius Black, and it actually blows up the gate, which a little much, but it's okay. It's fine. She got a little aggressive there. Uh, And it's actually a clockwise shape. And then go straight down. So you turn and you take your wand and you move in a clockwise shape from your perspective clockwise, go back to 12 and then go straight down to six o'clock.
1: So Dwayne Johnson uses this to unleash what the rock is cooking.
0: Okay. Yeah, sure.
1: And then that's how things like Hobbs and Shaw happen in the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh,
0: okay. Yes.
1: Like this is what he does to open the Jumanji box.
0: Yes. Yes. See? There we go. Connection. You're welcome. Yeah. I
1: know you love Full Circle.
0: Full Circle. Um, Just
1: like Aloha Mura. Aloha Mura. 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 Mur- 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 like Murka. Oh, yeah. Aloha Murka.
0: Yes. Um, okay. And so I want you to describe a character for me. And I know that, like, this will be a little bit easier. Okay. But kind of your description of a character. Okay. I would like you to describe Professor Snape in your own words.
1: I thought I did earlier.
0: pre rewatching the movies.
1: Oh, he always adds a... Yes. At the end of everything. Like, Mr. Potter.
0: <laughs> Our new celebrity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he always adds a tick. Or a dramatic something at the end of every sentence.
0: Yes, that was that yeah. That
1: is why we're here.
0: <laughs> yes. See I think it's it's harder to pick certain characters from the first one because there's such a deep description and a painting of a picture of each character for the in the movie. The Chamber of Secrets is gonna be a lot easier to uh pick characters from because there's not a huge description on certain people. We're just kind of given characters in a sense. And uh, same with objects in the second one. But this one was fun because I was like, oh, I'll pick some spells. I was going to pick a potion, but all the potions that are kind of presented in the first one are a little bit more obvious because they are first years. So we don't really get to see a whole lot of potions i could ask you what is a quaffle
1: i don't have an appropriate response for that <laughs>
0: okay what's a snitch Again. um
1: somebody who sells you out to the popo what's that's it? what a snitch is
0: <laughs> what is a beater
1: oh that's the one that's the guy with that I, the only one on the quidditch team that has a baseball bat yeah and it just he, he's he's the hockey equivalent of an enforcer
0: yes that's good quaffle is the the ball that they play quidditch with it's like it's like the soccer ball or the football. It's its the ball that everyone that you score points with. Snitch is the one that wins the game. In some cases. It ends the game. Snitches get stitches. Yeah. And beater, you were right about that. That's a very accurate description. If I were to play Quidditch, I'd want to be a beater. They have the coolest job. The snitch job is so boring. You sit there forever.
1: Literally does nothing the entire game.
0: Gets all the praise when wins the game. Whatever. That's the game. That was fun. Yeah. That wraps up another episode of Pizza and Parsecs. I'm Liv. And I'm Dave. And in September, we will be one. If you like what you hear, share it with a friend or a muggle or your wizarding friends or mudblood. Yeah, I said it. Or a house elf. You can share it with your house elves.
1: Don't share it with your house elf.
0: Share it with your house elf. Don't. Or you can share it, you know, with your giant friend. If you have a friend who is half-blood, share it with them too.
1: And you can check out our show on bit.ly backslash pizza and parsecs pod or on your podcasting platform of choice. Go on our iTunes. Give us a rate and review if you like it. Also, you can follow us on our socials at pizza and parsecs. Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Yeah, just wait a few seconds and listen to our bloopers. You can hear me royally screw that whole thing up. Beanie, beanie, deanie, 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 deanie. That's our outro music now. Beanie, deanie, deanie, deanie. Beanie. That was our episode of Pizza and Parsecs. I'm Liv. I'm Dave! I know, that was really stressful.
1: <laughs> Why just... did you- You said it so exasperated like you ha- Like you just got out of a hostage situation.
0: I we'll try that again. Blooper! And that, it, that
1: It's not so easy, is it?
0: That's why I was like, you could do it. But if you do like what you hear and you want to share it, you could definitely share, uh, uh, find us on our, follow us on our socials. <laughs> if you want to share with your friend, you can follow us on our show, socials. Wow. Socials. Follow us on our social media platforms, at Pizza in Parsex, where we would love to hear from you. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Do you want to do No, I'm really happy with this. Blooper.
1: You ask questions about my dancing, you get in, Or about my dancing, because I'm the dancer. Um...
0: <laughs> I do. I ask a lot of questions about your dancing, and you ask me a lot about my running. Exactly. <laughs> I don't run. We <laughs> don't do that.
1: That's what I meant to say. Um...
0: fell down. It touched me. What is this?
1: It's a thigh wrap for my quad and hamstring. Here you go. Thanks.
0: Welcome. We have a lot of bloopers for already. Wonderful. Reading them and watching them seeing them come to life and seeing, yeah, I hit the chair with my elbow. It hurt and I'm kind of sad now.
1: (laughs) Are you okay?
0: (laughs) Yes, because it was like my funny phone and I wasn't, I was not happy. That
1: mean old chair.
0: I mean old chairs in my way. It's fine. Blooper!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you just calling it out.
0: I wanted to be funny. I made the conscious decision that I would say blooper after every time I did something stupid.
1: It's not even that. Blooper! <laughs> okay.
0: Not even that. It's what?
1: Nothing. Go on. Blooper? Blooper?
0: Blooper. 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 I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I just like. Featuring
1: Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> and.
0: That was funny. Blooper. And
1: Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis! Bruce Willie. Ah. Uh, Bruce
0: Willie. Anyway, so yeah.
1: Is Harry named Harry because he can grow his hair out whenever he wants?
0: It, it was not voluntary. That's
1: brilliant!
0: No. It was not voluntary, like, he did, he couldn't control the fact that when Aunt Petunia cut his hair, it would grow back.
1: It's because he's Harry Potter, oh not Balding Potter. Oh, Potter. 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 See, like, 20 minutes into this, I'm like, Great British Baking Show.
0: Yeah.
1: Talking about baps and stuff. Baps. Baps could.
0: Could. I love the Great British Baking Show. That's another show that I introduced you to. You don't really care for, but we just banter the whole time.
1: I like bantering about it with you. It's fun.